On today's show, we'll talk about what's happening staffing-wise at restaurants, where we've been eating out and what we've been eating at home, and what's happening in the food and beverage world. Plus, you'll hear from our special guest, Angela Dunleavy, CEO of Fair Start. It's all coming up on the Seattle Dining Show. Support for Seattle Dining and the Seattle Dining Show is provided in part by... Queen Anne Olive Oil. Explore their huge selection of flavor-infused olive oils and balsamics. Mix and match to create some unique taste treats. Take a field trip soon to the top of Queen Anne and experience oils and vinegars in a whole new way. Find more information at QueenAnneOliveOil.com. Coming to you live from the Test Kitchen Studio high atop Queen Anne Hill, it is time for the Seattle Dining Show. Join us as we explore news about Northwest restaurants, take a look at upcoming events, discover new kitchen tips you can use at home, dive into great recipes, and much more. And now, here's your host, the senior editor, Connie Adams, and whoever else just happened to drop by today. Welcome to the April 2021 Seattle Dining Show number 2104. I'm Connie Adams, Senior Editor, and I'm here with Tom Marin, publisher and owner of Seattle Dining, who's now eating his new favorite potato chips. Mm, yum. <laughs> you know, I was thinking as I was looking at this that we always introduce ourselves as I'm the Senior Editor and you're the publisher and owner of Seattle Dining, but this is the podcast. Maybe I should be Senior Podcaster and you should be Senior Sound Engineer. Sure. Sure. Give me another job. We have we have multiple talents. Yeah. We're good in the kitchen and good in the studio, too. Yeah. And we're good <laughs> with dogs. Well, hey, this month, I was thinking we could talk about something I'm not hearing anybody talk about, which is shortage of labor at restaurants. Yeah. You know, we're, we're back. At this moment, at this moment of recording, at fifty um, percent indoor dining, um, but you're not seeing everybody just jump on that and open up. And one of it is that people don't realize it just doesn't happen overnight. But two, everybody I, I see advertising everywhere for now hiring, uh-huh. and it's tough to find anybody. Yeah, it's going to be tough for a while. Yeah, some people left the industry. Because they didn't have a job, their their uh, unemployment wasn't enough money to live on. Um, some people don't want to come back yet because the unemployment is nice and it is enough for them to live on. Mm-hmm. And so, if they can't come back full time, they're just uh, gonna enjoy the ride. Yeah, yeah, it's um, a a difficult thing. And, and lots of people moved during the pandemic. I noticed that a lot of people moved, like out of Washington, because there's uh, yeah, been stats God, on that. You know, like I, I have friends who moved up to Mount Vernon from Seattle, yeah. and uh, uh, you know, you hear about the hot housing market in Seattle. There's a lot of moving going on. Yeah. Well, another thing I'm hearing from people too is that they don't really want to do indoor dining until their staff is completely vaccinated. Mm-hmm. And one of the things you and I were talking about the other day is that. Well, it's great that they moved restaurant workers up to be able to get vaccinated sooner, but you're still talking about a six-week thing. You've got a it's a what four to six weeks in between first and second doses, and two right. weeks after the second dose. Yep. So you got a couple of months there. Uh, even if everybody got vaccinated today, if if the guiding principle in your particular restaurant is you know we don't want to be there until we're all vaccinated going to be another couple months for some of them. So we've eaten out a few times in the last month. Mm-hmm. I, I got to say, service hasn't been lacking, per se. No. I thought we've had good service, actually. Yeah. And some of it um, are places where the same people are there. Some are you know new I've never seen before, but they've been great. Yeah. So it's, it's interesting. all coming together. Yeah. But like I said, when this all started a year ago... Uh, it ain't going to be the same as it was, Mm-mm. and it won't be. Yeah. I talked to some owners of a cocktail bar in Edmonds the other day, and they were saying, boy, it used to be we'd say we needed a bartender, and we'd get so many resumes in. You know, we could just pick and choose. You know, we were king of the road. But they said now we'll get a couple, 
It's not, you know, people aren't jumping on it. Yeah. So, interesting. Well, speaking of all that, we have been out eating and drinking a little bit. Um, we went, we've talked about both of these places I'm going to mention because we've been to both of them before, but um, not since the, all the changes. Mm-hmm. So, Grappa, we actually went and ate indoors at a dining room table. Yep. And and I was making the comment to you that night that, and that was when it was 25% indoor dining. Grappa is up on top of Queen Anne. Yeah. And they, I felt that night like I was really out in before times. And it's just the way it's set up. It's got kind of a, we were on one side and it curves around in the dining room and the bar's a little two steps up. Um, and so it didn't seem to make that much difference that it wasn't full. They had music going and mm-hmm. uh, people were in there and you could hear the buzz of conversation and drinks being made and, you know. And you could eat outside on their patio if you wanted to. Yeah, they've they had got that it. all heated. Mm-hmm. And um, closed in, semi-closed in. So um, the other place I went to the other day was Hong Kong Dim Sum. But I did something I haven't done, which was I got some... Uh, a burger? Mon- yes, a burger. Mongolian beef. <laughs> Almost a burger. Um, so I, I, I ordered off their dish thing instead of dim sum. Uh-huh. Where's the Hong Kong dim sum at? It's 130th on Aurora. It's, um, it's r- near the um, oh, Hobby Lobby. Oh, it's in the shopping center there where the Hobby Lobby, yeah. where the Albertsons used They've to got be, a, where the Sprouts Market is. Uh, across the street. It's, it's a little north. Next, is well, it, I guess that's the same, sort of the same parking it's lot. It's in the same shopping yeah, area. Yeah, 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 yeah. And um, I, honestly, I wasn't that impressed with the dish I got, but I got a second thing, which was um, rice rolls in soy sauce. It's like one of the most simple things in the world, but I don't know why I'm just absolutely addicted to it, and they were really good. Hmm. So I don't know. I guess uh, my take on this so far is I would go for dim sum there because I like that, but. But you wouldn't go back for the Mongolian beef. Yeah, not for the Mongolian beef. I got Mongolian beef at the rickshaw. That's not bad. Well, honestly, I kind of did it on purpose so I could compare. And I think the rickshaws is better, which is, you know. I think something happened at the rickshaw because I've had a lot of bad meals at the rickshaw. But um, the last few meals I've had there have been actually pretty tasty. Yeah. Yeah, I'm, I'm in agreement with that. We'll give them the Seattle Dining 2021 Tasty Award. For this week. We'll see what happens next week. <laughs> so where did you want to talk about? Well, I went to a little place in Pinehurst, knowing that I have an affection for Mexican food. An affection? Obsession? And this is called Casa del Mariachi. And it's just in a little strip center with, with actually like a Indian-Pakistani grocery, a pizza place... Mm-hmm. And a halal meats and spices. Plus well, that's the Pakistani oh, that's grocery. The, okay. And then there's another place on the other end of this little strip mall um, that is, uh, I don't know, I haven't been into that place. We'll have to go to that and talk about it later. But anyways, the Casa del Mariachi, um, it, the menu is, is more going toward, like, uh, Mexican street food-type items, tacos and things like that. Mm-hmm. A but lot of I've, appetizers. Yeah. And I've, had, uh, I've had the taquitos there. Boy, there's a, there's a name for a food that has six different meanings in Seattle. Oh, yeah. Taquitos. Flour? Tacos. Corn? Yeah. Are they made with flour? Are they made with corn? Are they rolled? Are they just small tacos? Well, those, there's a rolled... In corn tortillas, the way I know a traditional taquito to be, um, and they were pretty good. I had uh, I had them put a little guacamole with that. Nor you have to ask for guacamole on anything there. They don't have it as a, as part of any dish. Mm. Uh, they do use a lot of uh, sliced avocados. So I, I uh, today I got the cheese enchiladas in a mole sauce. And it came with a little salad with some sliced avocados on top, and that was nice. That salad was actually good. Yeah. Um, and the mole sauce is really good. It's, it's, it's kind of the way I remember it from another restaurant that used to be on uh, Holman Road, mm-hmm. which is no longer there. But uh, 
pretty pretty you know a little bit of spike in it yeah, it was it's a deep complex kind of mole not not the americanized right and um and it would use the uh cojita cheese cojita 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 i think it's cojita it wasn't a colita cheese so that's good <laughs> yeah i today was with you and i had the pork ribs in green sauce and i don't think i would recommend that Partly because I didn't realize it was pork ribs and potatoes. We don't eat very many potatoes. Mm-mm. And it had um, peas in the green sauce. And it came with black beans and rice and that little salad and some corn tortillas that you could wrap stuff up in. I just, the pork was a little chewy. Uh, the sauce was okay. I mean, it, it wasn't bad. But I would go back that, I thought the uh, mole was quite good. I mm-hmm. tasted the sauce. So. And then we went to um, Mill Creek and went to Lombardi's up there and had yeah. lunch with some friends of ours. And uh, well, that, was, that was pretty good. I, I really like some of the recipes that they have at Lombardi's. Yeah. I don't remember. Oh, I had spaghetti. You had a bolognese, didn't you? Yeah. yeah. And that was good. And you also added meatballs on. Right. Yeah. Yeah, because it doesn't come with meatballs. You got to yeah. add them. But bolognese has beef in it, I think. I know, it? but it's For, not enough to consider yeah. that you got any protein at your yeah. meal. And I had a a salad with um, prawns and salmon in it. Mm-hmm. And you know, it was actually I, I don't know that you call it a full fillet of salmon, but it was all in one piece. It was quite thin, um, but you know, it was three or four inches long. I mean, it was. It's it's a good piece of. It was about the size of a deck of cards. Yeah, yeah. And then you got the prawns on top of it, and it was a it was just a simple uh, oil and vinegar dressing, but it was you know kind of refreshing and good. Mm-hmm. I liked it. So what you been making at home? You know, uh, one night I made uh, two things out of the America's Test Kitchen Cooking for Two cookbook. Uh, the first one was a teriyaki chicken, which I think we decided you had made once before, but. I don't remember being that crazy about it. I'd forgotten it. Um, this, I thought, was actually pretty close. And I think it may have been that for the sugar, you had put in maple syrup. And I used organic brown sugar. I don't know if that was the difference or I not. I think in teriyaki chicken, I would use brown sugar. Yeah. I, I, th- I don't think I would go maple syrup. Oh, I thought you told me you did that. Uh, I don't know. Okay. I, I say different stuff depending on the hour of the day. Yeah, you so. make stuff up, and then when I catch you on it, you said, oh, I don't believe I ever said that. Well, I'm just thinking now, I don't think that if I had the choice between putting brown sugar or maple syrup in, I would go with the brown sugar. Yeah. Maybe you didn't have any or something. Who knows? But anyway, I thought that was pretty good, but I wanted something to go with it as well. And I was looking at their vegetables, and they had a sautéed snow pea with parsley, lemon, and shallot. Which sounded fabulous to me, but not like it would go with teriyaki chicken. It was delicious. Well, but you're jumping ahead because I didn't make that. They have alternatives. You can oh, okay. like you could make this, but swap out this and this. So mm-hmm. instead of uh, the stuff I mentioned, I used scallions, ginger, garlic, and sherry. And and I have to say, listeners, Tom is not a big snow pea guy. He really doesn't care for them. And we each had a little helping, and then there was some left, and he put it all on his plate, and he goes, oh, I'm sorry, did you want some more? I was like, I can't believe you're eating it all. I I would have eaten more if you made it. Yeah, I didn't make that much because I thought he wouldn't be that crazy about it. So so those were um, two wins, I think, and we'll put those up online on the magazine. And then the other night, there was a recipe in the newspaper, the Seattle Times, of a spicy Calabrian shrimp with penne. So I thought, geez, that sounds really good. And then I could never find Calabrian. You got to go to Calabria. Paste. Yes, you got to go. Um, you can get it from Amazon and a couple other places online, but I don't know what the volume or the size of it is, but it was all 11 to $13. And this recipe called for a teaspoon and a half for where, four people. Where is Calabria? Spain. Or is it Spain? or No, it's Italy. Oh, I'm thinking okay. Spain. But I think it's Italy. Uh, it is Italy. So you so, go to you go to the Amazon to get Calabrian shrimp. Do they no, ship it to the Amazon? Calabrian chili paste. 
Oh, okay. Calabrian chili peppers are supposed to have a rather unusual or unique flavor. And so, you know, but because I could not find it anywhere, I just said, you know, I'm just going to kind of make my own spicy shrimp thing up. So I had some organic whole wheat fusilli in the cupboard, mm-hmm. and I got I had some uh, tiger prawns in the freezer, and I used uh, lemon and lemon zest and uh, olive oil and chili pepper flakes. And actually, I thought it was pretty good. Oh, really good. Yeah. And, you know, um, I'm just going to give you a warning there. Uh, if you if you do go to the Amazon to get Calabrian chili paste, um, you need to watch out for the piranhas. The piranhas? The piranhas, yeah. Calabrian piranhas? Well, they're in the Amazon. So if you're in if you're in the Amazon going oh, down there, oh, in the Amazon, get, oh, yeah, geez. you got to watch out. For those of you who are listening, which is all of you, I had a very blank look on my face there for a while. <laughs> <laughs> Um, one thing, too, if you're uh, feeling uh, adventuresome, I did find Calabrian chili peppers. And at one point in my searching online, there was a recipe of how to make Calabrian chili paste out of the peppers. Ah. So that would, if you were, it, it was simple, too. It was like vinegar, the peppers, and salt or something. It was not a hard, wow. didn't seem yeah. like a hard thing. And that way you could control the volume. Maybe you don't want to have a jar you know, 10 ounces or something of this stuff. Yeah, and the other benefit of that is maybe you, you know, maybe you make up um, an 8-ounce amount and then you parse it into the ice trays. Yeah, two tablespoons And you freeze it and and you don't have to use it all at once and it won't go bad in your fridge because it's sitting in your freezer. Yeah, yeah, that could work too. We already got to the tips and tricks of the show. And also I saw, uh, just coincidentally... I don't know how to pronounce her name. Is it Giada? She's a chef, and she does a lot of stuff on TV. And she was making something entirely different when I was flipping through channels, but she was using Calabrian chili paste. And she goes, this is my favorite new thing. Oh, okay. So, uh, really, if you're creative, you could use it in a lot of stuff. Getting you know, popular. Yeah. What about you? Uh, I have uh, done a few things at home that were interesting. Um we had a shortage here of uh, vanilla protein powder, mm-hmm. and we, we like to make our shakes. And uh, so I had enough for one scoop of vanilla protein, but not for two, which is what we need to put into our shakes. So um, I also was unable to get blueberries recently, so I bought a bag of frozen raspberries. And so today we had a raspberry... Vanilla chocolate shake. And it was delicious. It was really one of the best, I think. And it's time for us to republish uh, and update our shake. Kind of, We used to do that almost annually. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to uh, type up the new recipe, and we'll run it in the uh, April issue of Seattle Dining. Okay. You know, I thought that the reason we always used either blueberries or cherries was the um, what they – Give to you. Oh yeah, the health benefits yeah, are I'm way higher than but, raspberries. Yeah. yeah, but but you I don't what? mind switching it up every once in a while. We we have at least two of these a week, if yeah. not more. So um, it's nice to have a difference. And I love raspberries. Mm-hmm. And and nice thing about the raspberries, you can take the frozen raspberries and you can uh, puree them with a little bit of uh, erythritol mm-hmm. instead of sugar. And you can make a nice little raspberry jam, and then you can parse that into your ice trays and have portions of that around when you yeah. need it. You could also add a little lemon juice and do a little um, coulis. Yeah, yeah, Something you like could. That. You could. Yeah. What else? Um, I was shopping at PCC up in Edmonds the other day. And they had some of the biggest purple potatoes oh, I've yeah. ever seen. And, uh, you know, purple potatoes are typically about the size of a golf ball. Mm-hmm. And these purple potatoes were a bit larger. Um, not, 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 they're kind of in between a golf ball and a regular potato size. But, but, but pretty big. So I bought a couple of them and I put them on my spiralizer and I spiralized them. And then I ripped each bit into a chip. 
And I made up a, a little mixture of paprika, brown sugar, salt, pepper, and uh, tossed them in olive oil. And then I coated them with that mixture and put them on the large cookie sheets. And bingo, I had barbecue potato chips. How long did you bake them? Uh, about 25 minutes and don't go to 30. Oh. Because if you go to 30, which I did, uh, they will start to burn. Mm. And I don't like burnt potato chips. What? Nah, I don't. Just seems like it'd be so tasty. But boy, the amount of moisture that comes out of your oven when you're baking them. Uh. There's a lot of moisture that comes out of potatoes when you're baking them like that. Hmm. But uh, quite good and, and absolutely guilt-free. Yeah. I mean, you know, I'm not worried about a little bit of brown sugar. Mm-mm. But everything else was really good for you. So Yeah. Yum. And, and, of course, the purple potatoes are so much better for you. Way better for you. They got uh, half the glycemic load of a regular potato and all the nutrition. Yeah. So that's what I know. All right. Well, um, we've been a, a bit bad about tracking our wine um, consumption and what we think is good right now. But the one thing we agreed on was what we were at Saltoro the other night, and we got a Malbec there. Um, and just so you know, if you take, if you call in orders for pickup and to take out, they discount there's some, some wines. There's some wonderful yeah. wine bo- wines by the bottle if you do a to-go order that run between uh, like twelve and eighteen dollars. Yeah, they had a, a Basil Cellars cab on there for eighteen. We got this mall back. It was fifteen. Yeah, so. Uh, uh, you can't get it. You can't get it in the restaurant, but you can get it if you order it and pick up the food. Yeah. So we tried the Malbec, and it was a Renacer Punto Final de Argentina. It was really good. We we really enjoyed it. I would have that again. Me too. So. All right. You want to take a little break, and we'll come back and do some news bites. Excellent plan. All right. Support for Seattle Dining and the Seattle Dining Show is provided in part by Esquin Wine and Spirits. Drop by and check out one of the widest inventories of wines from around the world, as well as local and international spirits, all procured by their expert staff. Is your wine collection ready for a new home? Esquin offers monthly wine store storage lockers in a temperature-controlled environment. Visit their website at madwine.com today. Hi, this is Andre from Walla Walla, and when I travel to Seattle, I love to dine at Rock Creek in Fremont. Hi, this is Linda from Antolin Cellars in Yakima. You are listening to the Seattle Dining Show. Welcome back to the Seattle Dining Show, all you foodies, diners, and eaters. <laughs> Boy, you can tell I just made that up. Huh? Yeah, it was not repetitive at all. <laughs> diners and eaters. Uh, we're going to jump into the news bites section here. We got some interesting stuff going on, starting with Jason Wilson. Yeah. Tell us all about it. Well, you may recall from last month, we talked about. The Lodge at St. Edward State Park in Kenmore. It's a historic building they're redoing as a hotel with a spa and a restaurant and all this. They've now announced that Jason Wilson will be their executive chef. So that's pretty exciting. They're still planning to open in May. I'll be interested in going out there. I hope they have a, I hope they have a little media event and invite yeah. us out. Yeah. I don't think I have enough money in my 401k to probably eat at the restaurant otherwise. <laughs> I don't know what they're going to do with that. I think it is going to be a fairly high-end place. I mean, the hotel. I don't know. We'll, we'll see. It'll be very interesting. Also, a little sad note, Tom Douglas has closed Dahlia Lounge permanently after 32 years. That came out a little bit ago in, in March. Um, the space will still be his. He's going to make it home to Serious Pie and expand the Dahlia Bakery. And the, the current Serious Pie, Pie Place will become an event location. And so far, no decisions on Palace Ballroom, Carlisle Room, Lola, Palace Kitchen. 
There's a lot hanging out there still. Yeah. I think people will miss the Dahlia Lounge. I haven't been there in years myself. Mm-mm. Yeah, it's been ages since I've been there. But it, you know, appeared to be doing well all the way up into the pandemic. As most places were, a lot of places were. Uh, we mentioned Lombardi's earlier, and they are bringing back brunch to the Everett Marina location. And then their Bellingham location will start brunch in May. Both Bellingham and Everett locations restarted Monday service in mid-March. So they're getting back to a pretty normal schedule. I got to say, on that Mill Creek location where we went to lunch, um, for the longest time that day in, when we were there, we were the only people in there. So yeah. it's a kind of a good place to escape to where you don't have a bunch of people. The only odd thing about that was that another two or three or four people came in, a group came in. And they put them at the table right behind us. Yeah. I mean, you know, we were in booths and they were right on the other side. It was like the whole restaurant was empty. It seemed kind of crazy. I was just making it easy for the server. Yeah, but you could have put at least one booth in between yeah, or something. That's true. It was kind of odd. But um, we're all fine and we've lived to talk about it. <laughs> So Canlis Wine and Spirits Director Nelson Dakeep's last day will be May 28th after service. He apparently has married recently, and his wife has taken a job in L.A., so he's going to join in on the adventure and find a new path down there. So Canlis getting a new wine guy and a new executive chef. Yeah, big changes. Big changes for the brothers. Another sad one is Borakini's Bakery. That's closed permanently after 100 years. Did you ever go there? You know, I didn't, but I went to high school with Gary Borachini, and oh. and I he he never went into the bakery. I don't think. Huh. I don't think he was part of the family that kept running it. It was a couple of daughters of the the last um, Mr. Borachini who had it. I think a couple of daughters have been running it, but. They they did a lot of, you know, pa- people would buy pastries for meetings and stuff like that, but their big thing was cakes for events, and fam- every family celebration had a Borakini cake. And, you know, the pandemic just stopped anyone getting together. Yeah. So it was really pandemic-related. So sad. Uh, the Harvest Vine restarts indoor dining as of April 7th. They're going to go under a little under 50% capacity just to – Start slow. Then mm. this one I, I'm happy about. Uh, a number of years ago when they were very young, I went down and did an interview with Brian of Ghost Fish Brewing Company and, mm-hmm. and the brewer who does – this is all 100% dedicated gluten-free beer. And it is now the largest volume producer. Yeah, I think they got a big distributor. You know, you see a lot of trucks around with the ghost yeah. fish on them. Well, and now they are being distributed in Montana and California. Yeah. So they're really growing. It's kind of cool that something started right here in the south end. Let's see. I emailed with Peter Levy the other day, a Mr. Chow Foods, and they've reopened Endeline Joe's in West Seattle in early March and Cook's Tavern in Tacoma on March 10th. Now they're looking at five spot and trying to decide what to do. So keep your fingers crossed. Hopefully that will come back up on top of Queen Anne. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I know what it was. I thought they had already closed it, but uh, it was that they stopped doing They stopped dinner. dinner. Right? Yeah, they were only doing yeah. breakfast and lunch. Yeah. And then the pandemic hit. And, then, and they closed like everybody closed. And they just have not opened yet. Huh. And he's told me he's, he's been paying the rent all along. You know, they haven't made a decision mm-hmm. about about not doing it or doing it. So You'd think that they would have made some money doing to-go brunch items. I don't know yeah. if people would have. I, I, I personally wouldn't do that. but Yeah. Well, I think I have a neighbor who just loves that place, and I could see her supporting him in that way. Mm-hmm. You know? So I don't know. So you want to pop into the calendar now? Sure. We can just go ahead. Because uh, we're done with the news bites for yes, now. Yes, we are. Uh, again, happy to say there are things happening, starting to happen again. <clears throat> so keep going out to the calendar and uh, see what else is up. We keep putting things up. But the first thing is that Seattle Restaurant Week is Seattle Restaurant Month, April 1st through the 30th, Wednesday through Saturday, three-course dinners for 35 You can go out to their website and see who's involved, and some places do a lunch as well. So, through Wednesday through Saturday, 
Is so it? they're going to do all those specials on Saturdays. Wow. I thought they – oh, maybe they didn't. Maybe it was Wednesday. Uh, I thought it was like Monday through Thursday. Might have been, yeah. Huh. Yeah, so Wednesday through Saturday. So if you're looking for a Saturday date night, there you go. Um, Nordo Cafe has a cooking class coming up on April 3rd at 5 p.m. It's virtual. Prices start at 25 It's a virtual cooking class with Chef Erin Brindley. She's going to talk about mac and cheese and various iterations, um, and they will locally deliver what you need to make to make stuff along in this cooking class. Mm-hmm. Um, anybody from from beyond the area can can chime in, but it's free for them, and they just click on something on the website that says um, "bringing my own ingredients," boi or something. Yeah. Um, so the big thing, of course, this month is it's Easter on April fourth. Yeah. So and I'm. You've just, got a lot of stuff here. Yeah, and I'm just going to run quickly through it because you can go to the the website seattledining.com and and get more information. But Casper's is doing a family meal for four. Um, Eden Hill is doing uh, pickup and delivery on the third between twelve and eight p.m. for two people, sixty five dollars. Castilla out in Bellevue is offering um, paella mixta. Or vegetarian plus a kit of white, red, or sparkling sangria for eighty dollars for two, and through the third they're doing curbside pickup. Capital Grill downtown Seattle is doing um, dinner starting at uh, take pickup dinner starting at one hundred and fifty five. I could not find how many that served. I don't know. That's supposed to be a dinner for four or two or what? I might guess it's two, but yeah. uh, you can click the link that's on the calendar page, and it'll take you to where the information is. Yeah, although I went there, and I couldn't find it. Oh. So so you might have to call. Um, Lombardi's, all three locations, um, are doing brunch from 10 to 2, and then dinner from 3 to 8, and those prices are based on what you order. Daniel's Broilers are doing a special Easter menu, along with their regular menu, three courses, 120 per person, excluding tax. Pickup and delivery also available. Leshai, 11 to 9. Bellevue and Lake Union, noon to 9. Then Copperleaf at Cedarbrook Lodge is doing an Easter day and dinner. So 11 a.m. to 8 p.m. They've got outdoor patio and indoor available. That's a nice patio out there. It's a killer patio. Boy, in the summertime, that thing is so great. Um, Hearth at Heathman Kirkland is doing brunch, dinner, and dessert options, 9 a.m. to 5 p.m. And they have indoor and outdoor dining. Yeah. They've got that wonderful outside area. That little sidewalk area there. Yeah. Um, Water's Table down at the Hyatt Regency in Renton on Lake Washington, 9 a.m. to 2 p.m. Dine-in and takeout options available. I don't have it here, but they were doing like a 16-ounce prime rib and crab cake Benedict's. They've got a whole bunch of stuff mm. going on. Then Salty's on Alki, 10 a.m. to 5 p.m., limited seating. So if you want to go, make those reservations. They also have delivery and pickup available. And, and again, a lovely outdoor patio yeah. that's heated. Mm-hmm. And they've, I think, didn't they put up they put some tents walls up. kind of thing on that outdoor side, too. So hmm. you, if there's a breeze or something, you're good. Then all the Ethan Stoll restaurants are offering a three-course meal for two with a shuffle, special chef's menu. They've all got dining rooms open and heated patios. They're also doing a pop-up at Bramling Cross, which is the Easter home feast, so if you'd rather take it home. Mm. Serafina and Chiquetti are doing brunch there or at home, two-course, pre-fee for 35 per person plus tax and grat. And then they're also doing a $12 brunch for kids. Oh, nice. <clears throat> yeah. Then the Harvest Vine Easter Brunch meal kits can be picked up on the 3rd from 2 to 5 p.m. $65 serves two. And I would say if you guys are interested in doing any of these takeout things for Easter, I would get on the website of the place you want to go and check it out now because there were a couple I didn't even bother to put in because you had to order by March 29th. Yeah, it already sold out. Yeah. Well, or that you had to order by then so that they prepped. Yeah. Yeah, so... So get on there and and uh, do your thing. There's a wine dinner at Semiamu coming up with Willamette Valley Vineyards. I think that one would be good. 
6.30 p.m., 135 plus tax and fees. Reservations are required. And we talked about this last month. They're doing a series of these, and they don't tell you what's going to be on the menu till you get there. Oh, yeah. It's totally what they can get right now. So leave your food allergies at home. Yeah. Yeah, if you have a lot of allergies, it might not be the series for you to go to. But if you're kind of adventuresome and love you know, Northwest Foods, it's going to be really uh, fresh and local. Yeah, and they have like a large space, so they can spread the tables out up there and mm-hmm. and uh, a beautiful view off to the water. And, of course, they have the accommodation, so you can do an mm-hmm. overnight stay if you want. It's a really nice place to stay. Not included in your $135. So. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's going to be more than that. Then we've talked before about the Hitchcock Guest Chef Street Pop-Up Series. Um, there's one coming up April 16th to 18th. And that's going to be Chef Kimberly Causeway. You may remember her from Heartwood Provisions. Okay. Um, she's going to be focused on Mediterranean street food. Mediterranean street food. Yeah, so I think I've never heard be, of that before. I know. Is it going to be a bunch of falafels? Well, I was and thinking some pizza slices. I was thinking spaghetti, but it's so hard to do that on the street and then eat you it. You can't do that on the street. <laughs> <laughs> no, I think it'll be better than that. I think she's going to have something interesting. So. All right. Well, there is our news bites and our calendar. We're going to take a little break here. And when we come back, we've got this month's special guest coming right up. Mm. Support for Seattle Dining and the Seattle Dining Show is provided in part by Salty Seafood Waterfront Restaurants. Visit them on the water at their Alki, Redondo, and Portland locations. Hi, this is Laura from Bothell. And one of my favorite restaurants in the Winneville area is Purple Cafe. Hi, this is Andy Perdue with the Seattle Times, and you're listening to the Seattle Dining Show. We are back on the Seattle Dining Show. I'm Tom Marin, the publisher. I'm here with Connie Adams in front of the house, and we have our special guest in studio now. Connie, who's our guest today? It's the fabulous Angela Dunleavy from Fair Start. Yay! Hi, thank you. <laughs> nice to have you What here. a warm welcome. Thank you. <laughs> we um, wanted to talk to you today because Fair Start did such an amazing change of course um, last year, and I wanted to talk to you about when you sort of realized you were going to need to do something different, what you decided to do, what you've done, and kind of take it from there. Yeah, well, you know, it's interesting, uh, Seattle being at the forefront of the COVID pandemic, um, we started seeing things start shifting uh, toward the end of February last year. And um, we, uh, Fair Start is located at 7th and Virginia, um, where we operate Fair Start Restaurant. We have a cafe um, down in the Houdini building on Amazon campus, and then another cafe at Pacific Tower where Seattle uh, colleges mm-hmm. um, are housed. And so we just, you know, just really dramatic decrease in, in customers. And, you know, with South Lake Union, a lot of international travel uh, coming right. in at that point. And so there started to be some, you know, just kind of circulation of, of, you know, rumors of, you know, people, you know, what was, what was going to happen. And the interesting, you know, thing for me as a former restaurateur, I'm still connected with restaurateur friends from the East Coast. And I was telling them, like, look, things are getting ready to shut down here. And they thought I was being so dramatic. Really? And they, I mean, I think they were like, there's no way. And I mean, maybe we'll close down for a week or two. And you just saw then the ripple effect happen. And so for us, um, you know, we, I think we're fortunate in some ways. I think most people or a lot of people know Fair Start, obviously from our job training mm-hmm. programs, working with individuals who have barriers to employment, but also for our restaurants and cafes and our catering. Right. But what I think the general public doesn't know is that we also have this social enterprise business that we've operated for 30 years, uh, preparing um, community meals for shelters, uh, preschools. And so we had... Um, we, we saw the need for that was potentially going to dramatically increase, which mm-hmm. it did. Um, and so we were able to really pivot quickly when we shut our, our uh, retail kitchens down and just pivoted everything toward those community meals. And mm. I, I'm grateful that we had that opportunity because the, the, the need for hunger relief over the past 12 months has just been 
sobering. It's skyrocketed. Mm -hmm. Wow. And what's the number right now? How many meals have you served? We are in the ballpark of 2.4 million since the pandemic. And just for context, um, in 2019, we produced 950,000 community wow. meals. And Which so, is enormous anyway. Yeah, but I mean, it's it was really just everything kind of went into uh, yeah. those meals, including, you know, getting calls from Fair Start graduates who were losing their jobs. And, you know, we were able to hire, um, you know, temporarily hire almost 40 of our graduates. Some of those um, wow. graduates have stayed on and are now full-time employees. Um, and, yeah. it, you know, it, I think the hardest thing for me um, – I, th- this is maybe one of my hardest things to date as a CEO um, was putting programming on hold at Fair Start. I think it's really humbling when you have to do something that's never been done before in the mm-hmm. history of an organization. And for the first time in nearly 30 years, students were not coming into the building. Wow. Programming was not happening. And it was, an, I mean, it was an incredibly emotional day, not only for our students, but for our staff who were you know, packing up their desks and going yeah. home. Um, those staff, you know, that, that weren't working in the meals kitchens. Mm-hmm. And so it's been great to have them back in a virtual way. And we can talk about that eventually, yeah. but it, it's, it's been a, it's been a, a really um, impactful year. Yeah. It gives me the shivers when, when we talk about 2.4 million meals and, and that's just what Fair Start's doing. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of other organizations doing it. That's how much need there was. It's, it's just it's been it's been incredible and yeah. not necessarily in the positive way of incredible but, yeah, yeah. But, but the community has responded in a really yeah because you're operating off donations still and and um, donations from other companies yeah donations some government funding grants yeah. Um, yeah wow how much of this increase in meals do you think will maybe stay on will you do go back to shelters and daycares or will you continue to do a lot of this? You know, I think one of the great things that has come out of the pandemic is it, I think, helped Fair Start get a little bit closer to our mission. Mm -hmm. Um, Really, you know, who are we, like, who are we feeding and why? Um, You know, obviously it's always, you know, fun to feed the, you know, people who work in the offices around, you know, Fair Start Restaurant, but it's really meaningful to provide a, a meal and a delicious meal made with care and dignity to someone who might not know where they're getting that meal. And so Mm -hmm. I think that we will continue to um, have a pronounced presence in the food security space. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, we can't wait to open 700, you know, we call it 700, the Fair Start Restaurant. Um, We can't wait to open that. I don't know when that will be, but I do think that there's really meaningful training that can happen um, in our food security hunger relief kitchens. Mm-hmm. Um, and really for Fair Start, that's what, that's what it's about for us. Is it's about that job training and, and helping yeah. to disrupt poverty. Yeah. Well, I've been through the building before. So that um, kitchen, you have kitchens on two floors in the building. And so I'm assuming that the one on the bottom floor that usually is used for the restaurant has been tied into all the production meals as well, right? Yes. So you wouldn't recognize our restaurant if you were to walk (laughs) by. Um, So the front uh, dining room is basically a production line where we're assembling. I mean, if you could go by on any given day and there are boxes stacked in the windows and, you know, production line set up for bagging and, and, you know, boards indicating where things are going. Um, the main floor restaurant, you're right, has, is now doing all of our um, wow. our prep there and the basement. And then we're still prepping out of um, Pacific Tower, and then we still have a kitchen in South Lake Union. Uh, wow. So we have four kitchens right now that are producing um, meals. That's amazing. Yeah. God. Well, do you think you'll get back to restaurants at all? I mean, or, or you'll, you'll reopen and do the guest chef nights. They're virtual right now. Right now they're virtual. The first one was um, was just recently, a couple weeks ago. Oh, yeah. How did that uh, go? So fun. Uh, it was Chopping Skills with Christy Brown and oh, Vren yeah. uh, Um And just we had, I think, 350 or 400 people on wow. the webinar last night. Really fun. Took about an hour. I was I actually had it on as I was making dinner. And um, it was really cool. I've, I have never 
I've always wanted to spatchcock a chicken. Oh yeah. And now I feel slightly more like capable of doing so. Yeah. <laughs> um, Out of one lesson. Yeah. So well, now that, that you know how to do a chicken, you should spatchcock a turkey at Thanksgiving. Let's mm. set the bar low, Tom. <laughs> let's set the bar low. Um, no, you know, so so that was really fun. It's free to attend. Um, mm. Our next uh, guest chef night at home is coming up on May twentieth, and uh, with chefs um, Rachel Yang and Melissa Miranda and Chef Wayne Johnson is hosting, and he's just so fun to watch. So, you know, I think the thing that we're trying to do with Guest Chef Night is while we're still in kind of this heavy time, we haven't gotten back to, you know, the new normal yet, Mm -hmm. just bringing some joy back in this as well, which we've really has been an important part of our meal delivery too, is to provide some some comfort and and happiness in, in the meals that we deliver. It has to balance out because it's hard work to put that many meals together and everybody's focused and intense. So to be able to take it out and see how people are so grateful, you know, it's been great. We've had, and you know, our staff has really embraced it. Um, we had staff that on their, just to their own ideas, started writing notes and putting notes in the meals. And we've heard some really wonderful stories as a result. Yeah. That's so great. Yeah. You know, one of the things I, think everyone would miss and I I do is the the guest chef nights when the grad graduations take place because that's very emotional these people who have just come from such low depths and pulled themselves up and graduated from the program and they're always so emotional it's really an amazing thing to see yeah, we, um, you know, we will bring back some version, hopefully guest chef night as we know it. Um, mm-hmm. Who knows, you know, this is a great opportunity to find new creative yeah. ways to do a guest chef night. Um, but yeah, we will definitely, uh, we definitely want our, our graduates to feel, you know, the love and yeah. celebration. And we, um, we have actually um, had you know, quite a few students graduate even in the last year and we're doing virtual graduations and um, just with staff, but it's actually been really, um, it's been a different kind of experience. I think for our students who have that same kind of emotion. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think that there's the same kind of accomplishment and life change and empowerment. Um, And I think that it's become actually more accessible uh, we've seen our retention rate for students actually increase with the virtual really uh, with the virtual training and you know if you happen to have an opportunity to go live with family let's say in Tacoma mm-hmm. you can still do the training program yeah. online and that hasn't been the case in the past and so um, we've had students graduate while at work you know in a mechanic shop, right? Wow. Because they're not all working in restaurants right now. Yeah. Um, and so we're just, you know, our goal is to is to transform lives. And we do that through food and we do that through the restaurant industry. But there are, you both know this so well, there are so many wonderful transferable skills that you oh, learn yes. um, from, from the restaurant industry that we've seen our students and our graduates deploy into different sectors yeah. during the pandemic. Yeah. And you guys teach life skills as well. So, Absolutely. you know, they're coming out with the ability to go anywhere. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. Um, shoot, that led me to another question, and I'm just blanking all of a sudden. Um, oh, I know what I was going to say. Maybe you'll, you'll keep it sort of hybrid. So if somebody, you know, in-person trainings come back, and that's great, but then somebody has to go live with their family in Tacoma, they don't Absolutely. have to leave the program even though everybody else is back or something. Absolutely. I think that we've learned a lot about how we can deliver our program in the most accessible way and the most inclusive way. And I think that the other thing that we have, um, you know, really focused on in the last year is the disproportionate impacts that COVID has had on communities of mm-hmm. color, which is nothing new um, to the disproportionate impact that poverty and homelessness has on communities of color. And you know, aside from the shelter systems being located, you know, in downtown Seattle, you know, poverty really exists on, you know, on the outer, at the outer banks of our, of our uh, county, you know, South King County, mm-hmm. um, you know, has some areas that, you know, are, have, have been systemically, um, you know, pushed into poverty. And we're really interested in how we can mm. serve those communities, yeah. either both you know, in person with an expansion down to South King County or through this virtual program yeah. delivery. So we're trying a lot of things. It's been a 
great year to pilot and, and mm-hmm. try out some new things. And it's like you say, I, I think sometimes you have to rethink what you're doing. And, and it's really easy when Fair Start's been very successful. So it's very easy to keep adding. And then all of a sudden you're not maybe as close to the mission as you should be. I think that's, I think that's actually a really fair statement. And again, it's, it's who is, you know, who's our customer. Mm -hmm. And right now it's really gratifying that our customer, um, might be someone living in permanent supportive housing and that we're delivering food to them with as much dignity and pride and care as we would if you came in and had Mm -hmm. lunch at the Fair Start restaurant. Yeah. Yeah. How, how different is it for people training to make the delivery meals versus in a kitchen doing, you know, a three course meal, because it's sort of like fine dining and sandwich shop. But do you feel like they're getting the same skills? Well, right now we are still in 100% virtual learning. So we haven't been able to get folks back into the kitchen until um, either more vaccines are rolled out or the pandemic is a little more under control. We will probably bring students back into our uh, community uh, meals kitchens before restaurant reopens. Mm -hmm. And I think that there's actually a lot of skill to be learned um, in those uh, in that kind of larger format, um, you know, kitchens. And I think the great thing that we're doing, like, yes, we make sandwiches, but we mm-hmm. also make, you know, um, meatloaf and oh, yeah. lasagna and, you know, lots of salads. And mm-hmm. actually last week I was in the um, uh, the kitchens and they had made, we had um, been donated I, I can't even, I don't even know how many pounds of Chilean sea bass. And it was the oh my most God. beautiful. Wayne must have been insane. I mean, it was so great. And just to see this beautiful piece of fish um, that absolutely you would see on any restaurant, in oh, any restaurant wow. in Seattle. And it was going out to people who were living in permanent supportive housing. And I just thought that was so great. Oh, and so I God. think that there are all the skills that you c- could learn in our restaurant training. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, you can learn in our in our community meals training. A lot of that, too, I think people come out with that sense of being on a team and how to operate within a team. And that's whatever you do, as long as you're operating that way. Absolutely. Yeah. That's absolutely right. Um, you touched on this a little bit um, earlier, but have people f- who have gone through the program virtually found trouble, have had trouble finding jobs because, of course, restaurants are closed? They've been able to find other things like the mechanics jobs? or We have. So we um, have had great partnerships in the grocery sector even mm. prior to COVID. So a lot of folks going into to grocery, um, some food warehousing, um, but yeah, even you know mechanic jobs. And what I, I really thought, you know, wow, our 94% job placement rate, you know, pre-COVID is going to just tank. Yeah. We're still over 90% with oh, job placement. Right. It's just different. There's yeah. different. There are different needs. And I think, you know, it's really important to remember who the frontline workers are. Mm-hmm. You know, the frontline workers are grocery workers. They're, you know, workers in uh, food service and healthcare. Um, they are the, you know, the people who are working in the, you know, food systems, mm-hmm. um, in, in warehousing and manufacturing. And so, um, we've, we actually have continued to see success. Um, and that's, what's kind of driving us to think, okay, you know what, if, if restaurants aren't going to be the place hiring for the next couple of years, because the recovery is going to take a while, mm-hmm. then, you know what, we have these great options for our students to really get on this path. Um, to success. Yeah. Do you have fewer students or more because you're able to reach them virtually or is it about the same? We have fewer. Um, so right now to to this year we've, we've enrolled, um, about 37 students, which is, I I couldn't, I mean, it's probably a third of what we would have enrolled, um, in person. Part of that is the technology divide is really intense. And so, you know, think about, I'm, I think I, I've had so many of my own technology gaffes in the last, <laughs> I mean, I think I went through a meeting yesterday, half the day where I thought my camera was off because I was like doing some other things and realized that like <laughs> they had been staring at the ceiling and my, you know, for an hour, but it's been really, I think that's really tough. If you've been in prison for 20 years, if you've been, 
you know, living unsheltered, mm-hmm. um, to all of a sudden have to do classroom work via Zoom. Yeah. It's so, so it's. And where take, do they, they probably don't have the equipment, so they've got to be provide, at the li- Oh, yeah, you so we're it. providing, we're providing okay. all of their laptops. Okay. And that's the other thing, too. Um, they have to be able to be in a place where they can do this work in a quiet location. Mm-hmm. And I think the congregate shelter, um, situation in for some of our students has been really difficult because there is no quiet place to go i mean Mm -hmm. some of the shelters i think that there's some opportunities to change this but some of the shelters downtown have you know bunk beds stacked yeah you know three up and you know yeah so i don't know i think everybody needs some quiet time you know i can't imagine living that way absolutely and not with family, you yeah. know, it's people you don't know until then. Yeah. So we've had, we've had, um, a lot of, um, we've been working with a lot of people who might be, um, unstably sheltered. So they are, you know, c- couch surfing or, mm-hmm. um, if they're out on work release, um, from prison, they're able to do the program from, uh, from their work release location. Oh, okay. Yeah. yeah. I'm sure everybody supports that, you know, they, oh, yeah. they want them to be. Successful and move on. Absolutely. Um, well, since you've been so flexible in what you're doing, what's what's like the next thing? Like something you're working on now that you hope to have in place? Well, we are doing a couple of things, um, one of which I can talk about today. Uh, so we have been preparing uh, frozen meals um, and distributing those through the Seattle Public School sites to families who... Uh, might not have that dinner meal. Mm-hmm. And as we see Seattle Public Schools coming back online, we're really excited to be able to pivot those meals into food banks. Oh. And I think that one of the things that you know I really value, I have two little kids, uh, and it is not, it should not be a luxury to not have to cook if you're working a full-time job or two jobs or, two. or, you're, here, here. or, you're, or you're ill. Um, so pre- having some prepared meals, nutritious scratch-made prepared meals in the food bank space, we think is a really important yeah. um, um, perspective. Like and so we've partnered with um, just a couple, uh, Rainier Food Bank, uh, University Food Bank, to get some of our prepared meals in there. And we, we hope to expand those prepared meals um, into... Uh, other food banks in our region. And we're looking at some other really innovative um, hunger relief strategies that also have um, a tra- that will be able to have a training component in that. So oh, yeah. uh, working really hard to roll that, uh, some exciting things out this year. That's really exciting. Yeah. That's great. Thank you. Thank you so much for being here. We really appreciate it. Absolutely. It's been a pleasure to be here. Thank you so much. You bet. It's nice to catch up. All right. We're going to take a little break. And when we come back, we've got some tips and tricks. Support for Seattle Dining and the Seattle Dining Show is provided in part by Petra Mediterranean Bistro. Take a journey to Greece, Lebanon, Jordan, and the North Shore of Africa by way of Belltown as you dine in a welcoming atmosphere and experience the hospitality that Chef Call provides. Need a quick bite? Drop into the attached cafe or shop for authentic flavors in the adjoining store. Visit PetraBistro.com for more information. Hi, my name is Bridget. I live in Madison Valley. One of my favorite places to eat is the surrogate hostess located at Aloha and 24th on Capitol Hill. The bacon is crisp, the cinnamon rolls are awesome and the coffee is always hot. Kind of like me. Hello, this is Chef Wayne Johnson and you are listening to the Seattle Dining Show. Thank you, Angela, for being here. That was really good. You know, nice to catch up and see what Fair Start's doing. They've been so busy. Busy, busy. Busy. 2.4 million meals in 13 months. Isn't that astounding? Crazy. You know, like she said, they they were doing that to some extent, so it was great that they could just go wild with it, but um, it's still an incredible accomplishment. Well, you know, if I make breakfast, lunch, and dinner here at home every day, I'd be making 2.4 million meals in like, uh, what would that be, like uh, 2072 or something? <laughs> yeah. I don't know. You'd be so tired of your own cooking, I can't even imagine. <laughs> Sometimes I am tired of my own cooking. <laughs> yeah. 
Well, we find ourselves here toward the end of the show. But, of course, we like to end the show with some tips. So I'm going to hand it over to you, Mr. Publisher and Sound Engineer, and tell us what you're thinking. Uh, all right. I got a trick and a tip. Um, let's do my my tip. No, my trick first. Okay. So, um, you know, I don't like to drink sugary sodas, so I'm coming limited on what I can get in terms of diet sodas. But uh, I do have uh, quite a selection of infused balsamics in the house. Uh, right now I have like pomegranate and cara cara and black cherry all infused. And so what I like to do is uh, I like to pour a Diet Coke. You know, you like cherry Coke? Mm-hmm. Yeah, a lot of people like cherry Coke. So I take the black cherry balsamic and I put a teaspoon into the, the glass and stir it around with the ice and the Coke. And I get a really nice diet black cherry Coke. Mm. You know, if you do the same thing with like soda water. You could do that too, yeah. You know, that's really delicious as well and even healthier. Yeah, true. Yeah. And then what I find is uh, when I'm all done with it, um, there's some ice in there. But if you look at the bottom, there's there's the, the balsamic is coating the bottom of the glass. Mm. So put a little water in and stir it all up and get all the goodness out because it is good to the last drop. <laughs> I thought you were going to say, you know what I do when it's gone? Cry. <laughs> <laughs> I make another one, and then usually by the fourth or fifth Diet Coke, I'm just gyrating all over like a human pogo stick. It's <laughs> yeah. just like you were six years old again. Uh, and then my uh, my tip is, uh, have you ever read the label on a package of potato chips? You'll, you might notice that they're not really very good for you. Yeah. Uh, oils like safflower, sunflower, those are bad oils for your body. And so this group, uh, I don't know where they're from. I'm going to guess maybe like Colorado. I don't know. I I didn't look at the package to see. Uh, It's called Boulder Creek is the brand. I get these over at Sprouts Market on 130th in Aurora. And they make a olive oil potato chip. And there's only three ingredients in it. It's potatoes, olives. Olive oil. Or olive oil and salt. And so uh, uh, in terms of, of guilt, there isn't a whole lot of guilt in this potato Mm-mm. chip. So um, They I, are fried, right? Uh, I guess. I, I guess they're probably they're, – it doesn't say they're baked, so they're probably yeah, fried. They're fried. Um, the caveat is they also make several other types of potato chips like a barbecue and a an almond or a, a avocado oil one and if you look at the ingredients on those they're just loaded with garbage mm. so you really got to kind of just stick with the with the olive oil potato chip right now i hope they'll kind of clean up their act on some of their other foods i'd like to yeah. see somebody do that you know i'd be interested to know if they're frying it the potatoes in the olive oil cuz Depending on what kind of olive oil they're using, that could get high. Oh, well, that's true. High heat. Yeah, yeah. Hopefully not, because they're pretty dang tasty. They're pretty good. But, mm. you know, um, if all else fails, you can always go get yourself some purple potatoes and run yeah. them through your spiralizer or a mandolin or uh, mm-hmm. uh, any kind of shredder and make your own chips. Yeah, and that still would be tasty and pretty healthy, especially mm-hmm. if they're potato, purple potatoes. So that's my tips and tricks. All right. Well, mine, I was thinking about when I was messing around with that spicy shrimp mm-hmm. recipe that I mentioned earlier. When you almost put the olive juice in it, and I told don't do no, that. No, it's an olive juice. It was sun-dried tomato oil. Ah, okay. So I was going to add the oil in. They, what started this was they called for uh, making the pasta and then saving out a half a cup of pasta water to then put in with with everything else you were doing. There's red onion and... Sun-dried mm-hmm. olive um, tomatoes, and and I, I of course promptly drained all of the water away. So then it was like, oh no, what am I going to do? And I said, I'll, I'll put the rest of the oil in there from the sun-dried tomatoes. And and you were like, um, don't do don't that. Don't do that. So we didn't do that. So I heated some water in the microwave so I wasn't dumping cold water in there. And you said maybe if you if it's a thickening agent they want you to do for the starchiness, put some coconut flour in. Yeah. But you know. I was looking at it. Once you have the pasta done and you've 
cook the shrimp in garlic and this other stuff. I was looking at, at the pan and I was like, the whole point of the pasta water was to kind of make a sauce. And I felt that there was plenty in there on the – so I did put in probably a tablespoon or two of the hot water. Uh-huh. But that's all I did. I didn't put any coconut flour in or anything, and it, and it was fine. I, I think what they wanted you to get out of that in the recipe was that the starch in the water would sort of be a little bit of a thickener for all the uh, liquids that yeah, were going to bind up the, to the, the – the, the pasta. Yeah, and that had – what do you have in there? You had some uh, – Fusilli. Fu- yeah, but what was the vegetables that were in there? It was red onion, sun-dried tomatoes, lemon and lemon lemon juice and lemon zest. Yeah, so I think it was just trying to kind of come up with a more savory kind of, you know, a binder to put over yeah. all that. Yeah. Well, my, my tip here was that if you're going to mess with a recipe, plan ahead, have what you think you need, but – when it comes down to that, you know, take a look at what you've got. Maybe you don't need to add something in. You can maybe simplify a recipe and, and it will be just as good or, or better or, you know. So just it's part of enjoying the cooking process that you're, you're going through it at the time you're doing it. And then what we like to do, of course, is just jot all those things down and then we create the recipe and put it up on Seattle Dining and keep it for ourselves. Yeah. And I'm always forgetting to put stuff in my recipes. You are. You really, really are. <laughs> I made some shakes uh, uh, last week, and the protein shakes. Uh, yeah, and then I I poured the shake, and I'm like, wait, there's not enough, there's not enough shake here to make two shakes. It's not. What did I forget? And I looked at the list, and I was like, oh, forgot to put the protein powder <laughs> in, in the protein oh. shake. Yeah, it's it's getting. Uh, we do this quite a bit, but we do come out with some successes. Yeah. Like the like the raspberry Yeah, that was really tasty. Chocolate, yum. Really tasty. I'm I'm gonna do some more of that, honestly, on purpose. Yep. Yeah. All, All right. right, we wrapping up here? We are wrapping up. Thank you for joining us on the April show. If you're not already a subscriber to our online magazine, it's free to do so. Just visit SeattleDining.com and click on subscribe free. We make it clear. All right. Well we want you to dine well. Dine often, eat in, eat out, all that good stuff. And we'll see you back here on the May Show. See you in May. Thanks for listening to another edition of the Seattle Dining Show. This program is a copyrighted production of Mixed Media. It may not be reproduced in part or in whole without written permission of the legal owner, all right? However, feel free to share the link with all your friends on Facebook. Studio equipment for this broadcast was purchased locally at American Music of Fremont Icon. The views and opinions expressed on this show are exclusive to the hosts and guests and do not reflect those of former employees of Bill the Butcher, the Surrogate Hostess, the Beeline Diner, Louie's Chinese Cuisine, the Dog House, the Five Mile House, Charlie's, the Twin Teepees, Ocean Air, Benjamin's, the Madison Park Cafe, or any other lost Seattle icon. Subscribe free to our monthly magazine online at seattledining.com and join us next time for another edition of the Seattle Dining Show.